Hola Madre, this is welcome back to another episode of Let's Be Real podcast. A very special episode, I must stress, because we have none other than Samuel Marsden in the building. Um, Sam, take it away. Feel free to just let the people know what you do and how actually you have came into the uh, to the world of journalism. And uh, yeah, just a brief introduction of how you actually got there and what actually drives you to be so consistent in the, in the world of um, journalism. Hello, guys. I'm very kind with your intro. I don't know if it's that special, um, but thanks for thanks for inviting me on ahead of um, yeah, a really exciting match this this week tomorrow, Wednesday. It's already it's already upon us. The international break's gone gone quite quick this time. Um, so yeah, um, I'm a journalist in Barcelona, pretty much exclusively covering Barcelona. I know this is Madrid, but um, I'm sure you'll all understand how crazy Barcelona is. It doesn't give me much time to do much else um occasionally i do do some madrid stuff some champions league stuff or whatnot used to do a lot more used to do a lot more of all of spain but yeah just with the absolute madhouse that barcelona is i'm pretty much exclusively focused on barcelona little bits and pieces of other things now and again um whether it's you know other spanish football or for example the women's world cup later this year we'll be heading out to new zealand so little things like that but yeah i've been in barcelona been in spain for a decade now studied journalism came out here to well primarily to learn the language i started learning a little bit in england but didn't know spanish that well so i came out here to learn some spanish ended up picking up bits of catalan and stuff as well more recently with the birth of my daughter given that she's speaking catalan at school to make sure that she can't catalan get is impressive me. sam it's a very difficult language i'll tell you that yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's, if, if you have the ba- if you have Spanish, you can get the basics of Catalan. I mean, I'm not, I'm nowhere near an expert. I'm just starting to understand it. I, don't, I, don't, I try not to speak it too much in public. Um, just at sort, of, <laughs> du- sort of at a duolingo level, duolingo level, and the level where I can understand my daughter, so she can't take the mick out of me with her with her friends. Um, Fair play for being honest, Sam. <laughs> not many people can do that. But yeah, um, so yeah, and I've just been yeah freelancing and working in Spain as a sports journalist for yeah almost a decade now. For starting with Bleacher Report, The Mirror, Goal, um, but yeah, mainly with Diario Sport, a newspaper here in Barcelona, and then with with ESPN now for for six or seven years. Which, if people don't know, is a network website, TV, online in in the United States. Well, everywhere really. Then you know South America, Latin America. US, Netherlands now as well, um, all sorts of countries. It's actually surreal because um, I still remember growing up, reading up articles by Graham Hunter and the likes, and then I've seen Samuel Marsden as well. So to actually have you on the podcast is is pretty mind-blowing. I'll, I'll tell you to be honest, because I was a 15-year-old reading up your articles, and now it is it is really an honor to actually have you on um but let's quickly welcome the panel usual suspects farouk and jacob how are you guys doing yeah man, awesome, it's, man. It's, as you said man it's it's good man i mean uh having sammy i think at least for us you know doing this for i think it's been a year and a couple of months now and honestly like you know having sam actually you know just justifies everything that we've been doing honestly so like i just want to take this time out to you know just uh say thank you to sam and actually for ordering our wishes and as soon as i said like it's a dream come true honestly jacob exactly even for me like yeah i'm too good i was just like trying to pinch myself just to see how real this was <laughs> uh but uh, it, it is really nice having you over here sam Right, right. Let's let's get into business because Sam doesn't have much uh, time. He said, um, 
Sam, let's just kick off our conversation just to ease in. Let's have a very quick uh, rapid fire. Uh, it'll be it'll be pretty uh, simple, I guess, uh, by your standards, at least. Uh, favorite food, Sam. Favorite what? Sorry. F favorite food. Favorite food. Com oh. Comfort food. Yeah. Favorite food. Comfort food. It's a difficult question. I think it changes. <laughs> it changes depending on the season. Um, at the moment, I go for I go for a. At the moment, I'm I'm uh, anchoring for a good pad Thai, so Thai food. But thai it food. Cha it changes. So I'll go for Thai at the moment. Nice, I mean, nice. Pasta and pizza are classics, aren't they, from it Italy? And you know, there's good Mexican food, good Spanish food. But yeah, I'll go for Thai. That's one of my favorites at the moment. Right. Nice, nice. Um, favorite movie or TV show? Oof. I guess if I have to go movie or TV shows, it's, 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 uh, it's The Office. Um, it's The, the Office. The, the, the UK office, one was yeah. the one that I grew up with and was like absolutely massive. But I also love the American one. Um, I loved all those sort of, you know, those mockumentary styles, Parks and Recreation, The Office. Um, but yeah, the UK Office was the one that got me hooked. So I have to say that probably. I, I haven't watched the UK one. I need to actually get it um, done, hopefully soon. Um, not, another one, Cruz, Xavi or Guardiola, who do you pick in their prime? Oof. <laughs> Difficult question. I'll probably go Xavi. Um, I don't Fair remember... Player. I'm a little bit too young to remember Guardiola as a player in terms of, you know, being a, actually watching him. So I'm just, I'm relying on sort of archive footage. Um, Cruz and Javi is a tough one. Obviously, they've both had so much success for club and country. Um, but I just think Javi kind of became, that, that Barcelona team sort of created a stereotype of midfielder that teams really wanted. It felt like a real sort of, I know there had been Barcelona midfielders before, like to say Guardiola and whatnot, but it felt like they really created sort of a, in that moment, a prototype of midfielder that other clubs or other teams or youngsters wanted to wanted to be, perhaps more than than Tony Cruz has, despite his ridiculous success with with club and country. Just because you mentioned that, I, I would like to stress about this question here because I, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and I've seen you on various platforms. You know, majorly ESPN. Sam, um, are you an actual Barcelona fan, or is the correspondence you do for Barcelona, part of your job? No, not a Barcelona fan. I'm, my my team is Burnley in England. You couldn't be well, actually, they're under, under, under <laughs> Vincent that, Company, They're actually playing a lot more attractive football. <laughs> right. I was going to say it couldn't be yeah. further yeah. from from Barcelona, but no, they're they're not. They're probably playing better than Barcelona at some points this season. Some of the football yep. they're in the company. Yep. Don't they? I've tried in the past, um, and I know lots of people have lots of teams. And you know, when I've been in places, I've gone to games or tried to support clubs, whether it's a local club here like Europa. Um, mm -hmm. different things but I just find that I can't I, you can't recreate that passion for your for your club so it's just Burnley Absolutely. And, and no one else I mean obviously there are moments when I kind of perhaps lean towards Barcelona and doing well because you know Barcelona go far in the Champions League I did to go to Champions League finals so obviously it's you know better for me if they don't go far it's more likely that the other correspondents will go um, right. and also you may be sort of I kind of I wouldn't say support but you kind of obviously you get to meet players or or sort of develop relationships with players or their their entourages, so you perhaps want things to go well for for them. Fair play, fair play. Burnley, Burnley. Uh, I I knew the answer, but I just wanted you to actually say it. Um, but would would you say that Prime Chris Wood is greater than Luis Suarez, or is it the other way around? <laughs> no, no, Luis Suarez is miles better than miles better. Than Chris Wood. Fair play, fair play, fair play. Um, uh, best player while grown up, Sam. I mean, your favorite um, player while grown up. 
Good, good question, because obviously a lot of them would be low-key Burnley players that no one's ever heard of. The first, um, when I was a kid, I went on holiday. I went on, it makes no sense because I was on holiday in the Canaries, which are obviously part right. of Spain, down those islands right. just off the coast of Africa. But when I was there, like, I was fascinated. I was addicted to my favourite player was Alessandro Del Piero. And I got a Ooh. Juventus Del Piero shirt. That was sort of the first non-sort of Burnley player or shirt I, I had, I guess. So I'll say Del Piero. Fantastic player in his prime, uh, could do everything, literally everything uh, you could ask from an attacking midfielder or an attacking player. Um, Iniesta, Modric or Zidane in their prime? Final one. Oof. <laughs> That's, that, that, the jabby one was quite an easy one for me to get, quite an easy one for me to reason with. I mean, this one is really, really difficult. Iniesta. If I, I'll just go Zidane. Oh. I don't know. I think Zidane at the time. I don't know with the you know those. The, the, I know Iniesta also scored a winning goal in the World Cup final. I know Luka Modric took Croatia to a World Cup final. I don't know. Probably it was part of being younger as well, so it's seeming more magical. Um, there was there was something really mystical about Zidane, right? Probably yeah. maybe because he retired early and stuff like that. I think that, I, that... I, I think I like players that have a bit of bite as well. He wasn't just you know. Yeah, he he was nasty when he wanted to. Zidane, yeah. for sure. And obviously, you know, his contributions to the to that success with France in ninety uh, in ninety eight, to you know, Juventus, Madrid, just the, just the absolute silk that he had. I don't know, but I would probably yeah. I mean, it, it, it just felt like a magical player growing up, didn't he? And whereas Iniesta also in also magical and Modric in their own way, but maybe because I was older, I didn't appreciate. Well, I appreciate both of them, but maybe not quite in the same way as you do when you're you know a child. Fair play, fair play. That's that's a brilliant response, honestly. Um, I was expecting you to say Iniesta, but fair play, fair play, Sam. Um, let's let's quickly get into some of the uh, work-related questions that we would like to ask you. Um, I don't know how uh, parcel this would be and how okay you would be uh, to, to actually answer this, but as a Barca correspondent, Sam, um, what does that entail? Like, how how much access do you get to the internal runnings of the club? Is it just from press releases or? Uh, it depends what you mean by access. I mean, there are different levels. Whether you mean in terms of information on, you know, you know, stuff like have, behind have, the scenes have, or transfers, or whether you mean access in terms of interviews or with players or or whatnot. A, a bit of both. Like, have actually Barca players or managing staff ever opened up to you outside of interviews or, like, reached out to you for certain stuff? Um, in terms of, no, in terms of players and managers, in terms of direct contact with them, um, we don't speak with them directly. Whether it, if, it, if perhaps interviews every now and again with ESPN, we have the rights in various countries, including in the US now. So that means we have media days before big games. We have, you know... Um, flash after the game where we speak to you know usually the same players for english whether it's kunde testing Lewandowski. um so you kind of build a relationship with them that way but not to an extent where you're necessarily talking to them well not to, obviously speaking very personally there might be people that have very different experiences especially perhaps local journalists with some of the local players you know in terms of you know players that have covered la messiah in the academy and then these players come through like sergio roberto or, or busquets or whatnot and they have stronger links perhaps with with local journalists but as in international journalist i kind of have more of a relationship not so much with the players but with you know the the entourages as they say the camps or the, the media people or the agents related to you know perhaps you know ter stegen de jong 
um, these sorts of guys with uh, who come here and even though they're not English, their their primary language when they arrive here is English. They're more aware of the international media. They're more sort of in touch with us. So that, that's where that access comes from them. Um, and then it depends. Then it varies from player to player. There are some players that have people um, such as you know Usman Dembele or Pedri who have quite good sort of teams in terms of if there's an injury right. they can you can reach out and they can sort of confirm things whereas Barca at the moment aren't really given much in terms of injury time players are out and they're their side of events and then there are other players that maybe you don't have any sort of things with it just on a case-to-case basis really so I'd probably say there's yeah different sort of levels of maybe three or four players I'd say sort of I guess the word not the word they use in Spain is you know controlled you sort of have mm-hmm. quite good access to information from from them on maybe mm-hmm. another three or four where not necessarily I'm getting stuff first, but, you know, they will confirm stuff for me. If there's a story and I say, look, is this story true? They say yes, or they say no, ignore that or or whatnot. And then maybe a few others that perhaps I don't have such strong, strong relationships with. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of you know, the interviews and stuff, like I say, that comes through the rights holders. And then, yeah, much more stuff. I mean, Barca have got such a big sort of database of staff. So you've got all the media team, but beyond then you've got everyone on the board. I mean... If you think of Real Madrid, Florentino Perez kind of oversees everything, and you don't really hear much from the, you know, the vice yes. presidents or the director. It's, it's a watertight at Real Madrid compared yeah, to Barcelona. Maybah- maybe bits from bits from Butragueño or whatnot every now and again at a draw or, mm. or whatnot. Whereas at Barcelona, you know, you've got so many people with their fingers in the pie. Even though Laporta is very presidential, <laughs> very much at the yeah. top of the the pyramid. You know, you've got Rafa Yust, you've got Matteo Aliman, you've got Jordi Cruyff, you've got other people speaking all the time, making comments, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and these people are obviously speaking off the record as well with, you know, local journalists, international journalists, giving stories, confirming stories. Um, so, yeah, with Barcelona and I can compare with Real Madrid because I've worked a little bit around Real Madrid, but not so much. But also, obviously, you know, within the English language press, we speak about, you know, perhaps access or, con- or ways to sort of contact people at certain clubs. And there is a general feeling that. And this isn't necessarily a good thing that Barcelona are more open, that Barcelona are more open or easier to get sort of access or confirm things mm. on when yeah, Real Madrid is very, very close and very, very difficult to get into, apart from perhaps, you know, that inner circle with Perez, who they would have, whether it's a marker or some of the radios or whatnot, or Chiringuito. <laughs> do, you, do you think that actually kind of aids the the general atmosphere of, the, of like around the club and kind of avoid... Uh, scandals or anything as such sam like i don't think so because you i mean it's difficult there there are pros and cons if you just look at it from a barcelona point of view it's i mean it's great to have more access or feel like you have more access or more information or more knowledge um sometimes i do think it becomes a problem that they're so willing to talk sometimes i think it's best just to not talk so much and to you know the pr best pr would be to not speak to not comment on things and the story would sort of die or disappear um but that's just within the Barcelona sphere as well. There's press across the whole of Spain who perhaps don't have so much influence in Barcelona but do report things and whatnot. So you still get both sides of the coin. So I don't think it really matters too much. Actually, Sam, I was wondering, like, uh, how much does the language barrier come into play? Because as you said, like, you moved to Spain just to learn Spanish and something like that. So, and and I mean, you're an English language journalist mostly. So, like, how much would you see, like, uh, things get missed out? You know, I don't know... uh, lost in translation or something like this i would say like do that happen quite often in your line of work or um i don't think think in the i think not for me no not for me and not for the people on the ground here i think the problem is for people i mean we live in you know a media media sort of environment where anything that anyone says at real madrid or barcelona will be on you know every english language newspaper within like an hour and i think the problem is when you've got 
you know, people being perhaps junior journalists or journalists who don't perhaps have a high level of Spanish being tasked with taking things from from sport or from marker or from Spanish and Spanish publications and being, oh, look what Modric has said, let's get this. And then perhaps you get translation or, or errors there or perhaps with, you know, aggregators on Twitter who are so quick to try and get quotes out, there's perhaps mm. you get little mistakes there. I mean, for me, there's not really been, I mean, I've been here 10 years now, so my level of Spanish is is good. Um, and most of my communication with, you know, people related to Barca is done in Spanish. So I'd say that English has helped me, as I said before, in terms of breaking into the I wouldn't say having a niche, but perhaps reaching out or having a better relationship with some of the foreign players because they come over here and even if the players are learning Spanish, a lot of their agents are whatnot only only deal in English. So obviously, yeah. as a native English speaker, that is one area where I perhaps have a I'm loath to call it a one up one up, but like um, I guess there's a plus point on on local journalists whose English is perhaps well is not native. Um, it will be obviously varying levels. Um, so yeah, I mean in that sense, it's a, it's a pro and a con. I think obviously. A, a lot of people, a lot of players like the idea of eventually going to the US. So the fact that I work for ESPN is often a plus for, you know, if I'm getting looking for information on Sergio Busquets' future, perhaps his agent is thinking, well, it's good to have stuff in ESPN to have Busquets' name out there. It increases how true it's not, whether the fact, you know, maybe 60,000 people read the story if it's not that interesting in the US. But from their point of view, to have Busquets on ESPN in the US sort of, increases his name his branding or whatever ahead of potential move out there so that's been a plus for me i would say as well um so yeah it's pros and cons in terms of the yeah the language confusion i think it's more perhaps a yeah when you removed from journalists outside of spain who are perhaps through no fault of their own i'm sure it's being demanded by you know editors or whatnot but being asked to cover things that perhaps they're not quite equipped to translate or and sometimes it's not just it's just little translation things in terms of sayings that don't translate literally or or what quirks that perhaps seem like one thing but are another thing oh i do have a follow-up question also so when you work when a lot of these clubs they work with their own spanish uh mouthpieces right or and uh, publications so do you feel like a lot of that information doesn't come to something as big as espn uh and how do clubs choose to operate uh, on just by spreading let's say rumors um, in, in what sense? Can you just say that again, please? Sorry, I missed the first bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so these clubs, they often release a bunch of rumors via Spanish publications instead of going to something as big as maybe ESPN. Like, why do you think that is? That we see a lot of that, especially in Spain. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess because, you know, I mean, we, we've seen the curious thing, you know, I would, can never imagine a coach in the Premier League, and maybe I'm wrong, saying before the start of a season, we need everyone on board. We need the players, we need the supporters, we need the club and we need the media, which is what Javi said at the start of this season. So you can kind of see the workings of the relationship between the Barcelona newspapers and Barcelona and the Madrid newspapers and, and Madrid. So I guess they have a relationship where, A, they need to keep the club on board. So if the club perhaps want them to publish something, they're more willing to do it. Um, B, they publish so much, they publish everything on the clubs because they have to, because that's their, their main thing. At ESPN, even if they did come to us, we perhaps have a little bit of a higher bar in terms of what we would publish. We would want to, if Barcelona came to us and said, or if, you know, or to my colleague, Moises Llorens, who gets a lot of stuff from, from sources at Barca, if he had a source close to Barca or within Barca and Barca trying to put a story out, you know, we want to sell player, player X is attracting interest from the Premier League. Do, this, do you want to do the story? Um, we wouldn't just do the story. We would then have to, you know, perhaps approach the, uh, the. I would perhaps have a relationship with the player's agent, maybe, and say, "Have you heard any of this?" And correspond from, mm. from that side. Perhaps if the Premier League, if they were saying Chelsea, are, you know, making a bid, we'd go to perhaps we've got a guy called James Ollie in London, and we'd say to him, 
Barca are pushing this story that Chelsea want to sign player X. Have you heard anything? Could it be true? Um, and then we make a decision from there because if it's just Barca saying it, you know, it's obviously in Barca's interest perhaps to get this out that Chelsea are interested in to perhaps fuel interest from other clubs or certain bids and whatnot. So we have a bit of a higher bar. So they didn't really come to us with with stuff like that. Now, I know of maybe Moises speaks about things and there are things sometimes that come up that we don't do. Um, it's about making a judgment call, really. And a lot of the time we wouldn't do it. The only time we sometimes run into problems, well, not problems, but we're forced to rush a little bit is perhaps on sort of deadline days and things like that if it's transfer related. Because you know, you might be hearing things and things can change so quickly and you can miss out on things so quickly. You don't have as much time to make the right call. And maybe, you know, it's difficult to, I'm sure agents have got 15,000 more priorities to be responding to the journalists about transfer rumours on <laughs> deadline day, depending on the strength of the relationship. So sometimes you have to make a call based on perhaps less information on on those sort of, you know, deadline day or the day before when things are moving so fast and you don't want to be beaten to a new story perhaps. Absolutely. That completely makes sense and, and kind of puts it into perspective how crazy deadline days can be and uh, how some of the information can be, you know, very, very distant from the truth. But the, one final question uh, related to the to the press stuff. Is, is, is the language barrier, Sam, uh, like kind of uh, limit the uh, level of La Liga's reach in in, in 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 the global market, like compared to the Premier League, is 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 the language barrier a, a genuine um, barricade in 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 getting that 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 extra amount of reach and 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 basically uh, widespread recognition compared to the Premier League. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I don't have the the complete answer. I can only offer my opinion i mean obviously you know spain spanish is also a massive language so it's obviously a benefit perhaps in terms of the latin american south american market um i think the 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 strong point i guess for for the premier league is that you know english is so widely sort of a second language or as as probably i I don't know this for sure but i think there's more native spanish speakers than native english speakers i don't know if i've made for sure for sure yeah i think that does a uh, uh, genuine stuff, yeah. But yeah, there are people who, um, yeah, consume would consume news on Barcelona and and Real Madrid in English. So if you think about that, there's obviously you know it's much more accessible the news, the the coverage, videos, YouTube channels, podcasts, whatever, in English on on the Premier League. Um, so I think that must must in my opinion it must be a factor. I don't know if anyone's ever done a study on it or, or there's any sort of data which explains that aside from all the other reasons the right deals and stuff how much of a consequence of that in the premier league is down to down to the language um yeah it's a good question and i think it's definitely definitely a factor i mean spain obviously has a boost i guess over you know the bundesliga and other leagues because of that sort of you know connection that it has to south america which is a big big market um but yeah i mean sport and the newspapers here and stuff are crazy for the english-speaking market in terms of sponsors mm. and stuff. they say it's worth much more than the Spanish-speaking markets, um, yeah. So it's definitely it's definitely um, a factor among among several. Completely makes sense. Completely makes sense. Um, we would uh, take this opportunity to actually shout out the people in the chat. Uh, Dennis is back again. He says, "Vamos a la Madrid." Uh, my heart says three one. Uh, my head says one one. Interesting. Um, Adriano uh, is actually back again. Nice to see you again. He says, "Hey Sam, I'm also from Barcelona. I live in Barcelona too." Um, 
Dennis the Great says, Zizu made me a Real Madrid fan. As a kid, my uncle gave me uh, Zidane Jossi. That's that's one way to actually, you know, get into um, supporting supporting the game and one of the absolute greats to actually, you know, uh, it's, it's a great pitch, I'll, I'll tell you that. But uh, let's kind of segue into the current uh, like uh, scene in, in La Liga and how Barcelona has made uh, a tremendous resurgence from their very uh, poor couple of campaigns, you know, the previous two years. Um, Sam, can you actually enlighten us how Xavi has kind of turned this around? We, when we actually previewed the first Clásico back in October, we had a specific uh, topic that we actually addressed. Xavi's revolution against Carlos' evolution. Do you think that makes sense? In in what sense? Uh, in the sense that Carlo basically uh, took up an evolution of older heads and seasoned veterans who actually had won so much and then blending them with youngsters, whereas Xavi actually kind of ripped up the uh, ripped up the whole method book and kind of started afresh. Yeah, I think there's, 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 there's an element of that. Obviously, you know, you guys will know better than me about how Ancelotti's affected Madrid. Um, right. I think he's obviously, I don't know if he gets enough credit for how much sort of Vinicius has come on under him. Um, if we think back to Vinicius under Zidane, obviously had all that potential, but perhaps not the consistency. I think Javi's probably a mix of revolution and mm. evolution. If you think, you know, I know Jordi Alba's dropped out now, but very important to Barca's recovery last season was still Ter Stegen, Piquet, Alba, Busquets. They are all still very much, and they've sort of, I guess, been phased out gradually. First, obviously, PK. Um, but they have been completely out of the team this season, you know. Well, they're still, yeah, but I mean, they're still Tastegan, Busquets, you know, De Jong, who are still sort of staples of the team before before Javi came in. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, there is an element of revolution, especially when you look back to last last summer. I think the main thing that mm. Javi has done, and I think Ancelotti's commented on this. I think. When we spoke to Ancelotti after in the Camp Nou press room after the the one after the two one just before the international break, he was asked why Barca twelve points clear, and he said consistency, which is right. basically I think what it comes down to. And I think Barca have been so consistent, perhaps for two or three reasons. Obviously, well, the first reason obviously they have improved under under Javi in terms of you know signing players and playing better football, having goals. You know, obviously Lewandowski's been a big signer, and you know Dembele for the first half of the season in certain games has been has been good. But obviously, I mean the the most Dramatic improvement has been in defence, um, which is obviously down to sign-ins in terms of Kunde and Christensen, but also the the right the emergence of Alejandro Valde as a real sort of starter, and then Araujo mainly staying fit. Um, I don't think I think the the stats are a little bit misleading. I mean, Madrid have obviously mm. scored against them in three of the four games they've played this season, including three in the Bernabeu. They've obviously conceded a lot in the in the Champions League, and they conceded four in the Europa League against United. So there's still it's still not it's still not this watertight defense that perhaps you know the the La Liga statistics would suggest. It, it's sure. basically Tostigan playing out of his skin, right, for majority of the season. There's there's, there's a combination of things. It's, I mean, Tostigan has been very good. He's been a return to form, which has been a massive boost because he's had a lot of criticism in recent seasons. There were people that thought he was never going to get back to. To this level, so that's one of the major factors. I mean, it is also true that they are much better in in defence. Or well, how could they not be with Kunde Christensen and Alaoka? They have 
in Araujo and Kunde to a degree. And Christensen is also not slow. They have more recovery pace, whereas, you know, before they would get caught out the way they play so high all the time, whereas now they can sort of afford to. There have been so many times when Araujo uses his pace to get back or is in the right place at the right time. I'm thinking in those latter stages of the 1-0 win at Atletico Madrid and games like that. So that's been the major thing that Javi's done really is improve the the defence. Because even if we say they're slightly overperforming their statistics in defence and perhaps could have conceded a few more, it's still a dramatic improvement to what it was when Javi took charge. And that's what's allowed them to be so consistent and to, yeah, basically to not, I know they lost to Almeria recently, but basically the main difference between them and Madrid is they've been in general so switched on or able to win games in different ways against everyone that's not, well, they've also beat Real Madrid twice, but yeah, to be so consistent elsewhere no no but obviously they lost Madrid in the league but yeah to be so consistent in general and I don't know how much of that comes down to hunger as well um, it's I, I think it has largely to do with hunger and basically being uh deprived of success uh for 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 a, for a bit um if we actually go back to the first leg Sam they actually did a number on us uh which uh, like which was very eerily similar to how we kind of navigated the knockout phases of the Champions League last year being very compact and being dogged in in in, in their defense, um, would you would you class that as uh, some some sort of a uh, some sort of a change or or, or a different uh, turn in in philosophy from Xavi? Because Barcelona isn't a team that is expected to defend like that, especially in a Clásico. Yeah, that was an incredible game because obviously Barca mm. won it one 0 but it fueled such a sort of. I mean, Javi called it criticism, but at very least debate, at most criticism, I guess, of, you know, the Barca style. And I think it came down to two things. I think the first thing is, yes, Barca were trying to be a little bit more solid, perhaps a little bit more defensive than perhaps they would have done because of the personnel. They obviously had a lot of players missing. They were sort of forced to perhaps play that way. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head who wasn't playing now, but there was no Pedri, no Dembele, no Lewandowski, you know, Christensen was on the bench, so... They, had, they, they were sort of forced to be, if not set up that way, be to prepare to play that way. And then, as Javi said, you know, Madrid were at home. Madrid sort of were able to take the game to Barca. Two teams play. And mm. it was obviously difficult for Barca to get out. I think they wanted to have more of the ball. I think they wanted to control the ball more, but they were just unable to, to do it. And I think it's not a bad thing if when they're unable to do it, they are able to then have a structure that allows them to defend well and keep clean sheets because they've not had that for... A long time, but overall, I think it's not. Um, it's not. Then I don't think they're straying as far from. I think there's a lot of stuff said, isn't there, about the the style and the way Barca played and whatnot. But you know, the, the modern game changes a lot. Barca is still a team that want to attack. They're still a team that wants to have the ball. But yeah, the fact that they had 35% of possession at the Bernabeu wasn't didn't go down too well here. But I think it was it was an anomaly for the reasons we, we've spoken about with the, the players missing and the fact mm. that Madrid are Madrid are a very good team and they were playing at home. Fair point, fair point. Um, so I was I was actually listening to your podcast. By the way, it's actually linked in the description, people. Like, if you haven't checked that out already, do check out um, Sam's uh, Barcelona podcast, Siempre Positivo, um, in which he actually uh, was talking with Rick Sharma and, 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 and Tony. And you guys were actually mentioning that uh, going by the current mini-crisis of injuries that Barcelona are, are, are having... Uh, Real Madrid has like more than fifty percent of a chance to actually nick the game tomorrow. Like, can you actually flesh out why you guys exactly think that? Because, like, we have lost the last three classicals, and and the morale has never been 
this kind of uh, low, especially approaching a classico in the last couple of years. Yeah, did I? Well, I can't remember. Is this this was on this week's pod? I can't remember if it was. Uh, yeah, winning the, winning uh, the tie. I know winning the game would obviously take it to to extra right. time. But yeah, I mean, I think for the game, I think I mean, Javi Javi said as much today. Um, Barca are without Christensen, they're without Frankie de Jong, they're without Pedri, they're without Dembele. Um, obviously, they've won the last three, but like Javi also says, you know, how long do these runs go on for? This is the first time they've won three in a row since the Guardiola era. Mm. On, on statistics, are they likely to make it four in a row? You know, Real Madrid are obviously wounded by the fact they've lost three in a row. The Copa del Rey, a chance to make the final feels. I mean, the Copa del Rey in its own can be valued or not by these by these two clubs at the end of the season. But knocking the other one out of it on the way to the final is obviously almost as big as then then winning it. Um, it, it is a psychological blow for sure. Yeah. So and I, I, Madrid have obviously, you know, in that game before the the break, I know Barca said they deserved to win it. Actually, you know, Madrid were well on top when Barca got the winner. They they were pushing. They had the offside goal. They had some chances. It could have gone either way. Perhaps a draw mm. would have been. A fair result, but I think yeah, yeah, either a draw or a Real Madrid win is probably. Oh, I don't know. I mean, the, my 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 predictions with Classicos always go wrong. Whenever whenever the <laughs> team looks stronger, it seems to go the go the other way. Um, I don't know if that's if that's true or not, but that's the sensation I have. I'm always like Madrid are coming into this one much stronger. It's going to be a Madrid win, or this is you know it's got Barca written all over it. And there was a run where you know Barca were were better than Madrid, but they would never beat them at Camp Nou and and little things like that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, Lev- I know Barca also scored four at the weekend, but Lewandowski has not been in great form since the World Cup. Rafinha has been quite good, but he doesn't feel quite like the threat of Dembele. He works harder and he's had obviously yeah. great, great output in the last sort of three months. He scored some important goals, some winning goals, but I don't feel like he's, maybe he will prove me wrong and maybe it will come, come this way in time, but I don't feel like he's necessarily a player. You go into the big games thinking... Rafinha is mm. definitely going to be the difference maker here. So I think Barca... But he has actually managed to surprise me because I had uh, zero expectations of, of Rafinha when he actually came in because I didn't rate him as a player at Leeds United. Um, he was good, but he wasn't a Barcelona quality player, in my humble opinion. But he has been actually pretty decent for Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I thought he had a really good game in that Classico, actually, just before the break. Mm. I know he didn't score either of the goals, but I thought he was perhaps Barca's best player in that game. Um, I think it was the best I've seen seen him play. Um, so he has sort of stepped up since, Dem- especially since Dembele's been out. There's that whole problem that Barca have basically got three right wingers: Ferran, yeah, yeah, and Usman Dembele. So the squad plan has been bad there because all three of them, even though Ferran can play across the front three, Dembele and Rafinha can play on either flank. All three of them will tell you what's your preferred position. They will all say I want to play on the on the right wing. So that's not good mm. squad planning. Um, but yeah, with the sort of I guess it settled him down a bit, knowing that he's got that right wing spot for a while with Dembele been out, and he has been has been quite good. But I'd still put in terms of in terms of influencing matches, you'd still sort of think Vinicius in the final third will offer more than him, even if Rafinha offers a lot defensively as well, and perhaps overall yeah. in terms of what you want from a player, it might be a bit closer. But you'd still rather take Vinicius in the final third in terms of what he's able to do. Um, I guess Benzema has been, even though his numbers have been good since the World Cup, I guess there's an element of the. Lewandowski about him too whereas maybe before the weekend I know he'd only scored one in five and maybe Madrid fans would have said he's perhaps yeah. not quite been in top top form but you know with the hat trick he comes into this one in good form I always think that Rodrigo is underused at Madrid in these these games as well he's, I mean he's mm. brilliant at the weekend as well I mean there's the massive caveat of the weekend I don't know what you guys thought but Alche and Valladolid both defended so so badly so poorly so so poorly, get, so, so get, poorly. Um, yeah. 
you don't want to get too carried away about you know Ansu Fati's goal or or Ben yeah. trick. But but Lewandowski's ball for for the uh, Ansu Fati goal was was insane from from the, from the uh, middle of the pitch. Yeah, yeah, the Ferran Torres goal, the long the long ball. Oh yeah, the Ferran Torres goal. My bad, my bad. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. the Ansu Fati goal. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess it's good that they had those big wins at the weekend because both teams should go into Wednesday's game with a little bit of confidence. The strikers are in. Good nick. There's not, you know, I guess as they say, it's sort of a weight lifted off their shoulders that they've scored those goals. There, hopefully, it will set up a set up a good game. But yeah, I just think with the injuries, with Madrid losing the last three, I feel like the scales are slightly tipped in Madrid. So, but it's a really, really close classico. I think. I think yeah. I think this season these these last few have been difficult. I mean, before the first leg, I thought Madrid would definitely win that one. Um, I thought mm. the Liga one would probably be a draw. I think tomorrow could easily be be a draw as well. I think. Because it's only one goal in there. I think we could see extra time. I think Madrid could win, but I, I think we could see extra wait, time. Wait, wait, Sam, you said that you always get predictions wrong. Can you predict that Barcelona are going to win? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Sam, I was wondering, like, based on what you said, you said it's an anomaly that could happen in the first leg. You know, Barca have less position, what is and what is not. What I'm just thinking now is that based on what you're saying about the lack of you know, players and what is and what is not, form of some players being probably like. Are we going to be expected to see Barca play games? I'll constrain the fact that across the two games in the last two games, the first game and the game of the international break, Real Madrid had just two targets. Across Wait, is it just me or it's like Farouk? No, uh, Far- Farouk's voice is kind of breaking off. Uh, oh. Farouk, can you just unmute and uh, like mute and unmute and maybe try it again? What about that? Uh, no, no it, it, it's, still, it's still kind of distorted. Um, but yeah, uh, quickly because Sam doesn't have much time. Um, Adriana was in the comments. She was asking actually a very good question, taking into consideration that Pedri and De Jong are out. Uh, do you expect Xavi to take a similar approach to the first leg? Who do you think will replace them in the eleven, Sam? Yeah, well, I'm fairly. I mean, again, going with predictions, I'll probably be wrong, but I'm fairly sure that Xavi will go Ter Stegen, Araujo, Kunde, Marcos Alonso, Balde. Busquets, Sergio Roberto, Kessie, Gavi, Rafinha, Lewandowski. Um, so it'll be that sort of that midfield four, if you want to call it, or four three three with Javi sort of on the left coming into midfield, um, and Kessie coming in for Kessie coming in, I guess, for Pedri in effect. If you're going on the sort of man for man, and Roberto in for De Jong in terms of the, perhaps a little bit deeper alongside Busquets is what I would imagine. Although they can obviously swap Kessie and and Roberto, but I'm fairly sure that will be the the Barca 11, but even though even though they don't have Pedri and De Jong and Dembele, who are three players who make them tick, I mean, and also Christensen in terms of playing out from the back, he brings a lot to their style. I still think, you know, I don't, I would be stunned if we saw Barca having 35% possession again. I think they'll have, I don't know, maybe shade, maybe shade the possession, maybe 55, 40. Right, right. Um, I, I guess, like, I have to completely agree with that because, um, People have been going on about Kessie not getting the recognition he deserves, you know, especially um, since he scored the winner in, in the Liga Clasico. But uh, we're going to be wrapping, the, wrapping this up in like 10 minutes. So people who want to actually get in a few questions, we would dedicate the last couple of minutes to uh, send in your questions uh, to Sam. But Sam, like from a Real Madrid perspective, what has Ancelotti missed? What should Real, Real Madrid do to actually win a Clasico now? Which could be, you know, the uh, the uh, like a very a season defining moment for Ancelotti, who kind of looks like he's out of the door. And and do you think personally that he might not be here come September? 
Um, if I had to bet, I think you know everything's pointing towards him staying until the end of the season and then taking mm. the Brazil job. Mm. Um, and I think everyone will be will be happy with that. I think Madrid will be happy to part ways after two years. I don't know if winning the Champions League and the Copa del Rey could could change that or sort of change Madrid's opinion. And you really think the Champions stay. League isn't going to change Carlo's um, decision to stay or the club's decision to actually keep him? I think it depends more on the club than Carlo. I think Carlo, I mean, Ancelotti said it a lot, honey, that he would stay. Mm. Um, I don't know if, it, you know, I mean, you, you, you get the impression, I don't know, you guys will know more than me and follow more than me. I get the impression that he will he will be the Brazil manager. But like I say, if they, with the one caveat, if they win the Champions League, perhaps uh, perhaps Perez will, will change his mind. But perhaps, you know, Florentino Perez is also someone who knows what he wants. And perhaps even if they do win the Champions League, perhaps he's seen enough this season to see that perhaps a change is needed because... The trend in the league has been, you know, although Madrid's points aren't actually much down on last year, the main difference is that Barcelona have been much more consistent. But perhaps the change is needed in terms of just football goes in cycles. You need, you know, new faces, new new hunger, the way that Guardiola left Barca when it was time, whether a third year of Ancelotti after winning the Champions League would bring a third. I don't I don't know. I would I would bet on him being the Brazil manager after this season. Um, in terms of the Classicos, I think, yeah, I mean, it comes back to the, the Super Cup especially felt like hunger because it's obviously a minor competition, but it felt important for Barca in their growth, definitely more than Real Madrid in terms of they they were off the back of a league and Champions League double last season and perhaps they weren't quite sort of as motivated or out the blocks as Barca were. Um, the Copa del Rey, we've commented, it was an anomaly. Perhaps, you know, Ancelotti could have done better in that game. Mm. I don't know if he can do much more. I think the squads, I think Madrid are struggling a little bit of fullbacks at the moment from from my perspective. I think... Carvajal's been an interesting Carvajal. one. Like, yeah. I kind of wrote, I kind of wrote him off maybe eighteen months ago, and then I thought he was. I was at the Chelsea. Was, I can't remember if it was the Chelsea. I was at a couple of the Champions League games at the Bernabeu last year, and I thought he was fantastic. He has his ability to actually rise to the occasion, right? Like yeah. he's a weird player. Um, but I've been been disappointed with him in in recent recent classicos, and obviously the left back situation needs resolving. Obviously, Mendy. Even when he is fit, is perhaps not always the preferred option. So, I honestly yeah. think, Sam, uh, when it comes to Carvajal, like people were actually going off, especially in Spain, when they saw that Kieran uh, Tierney was actually ripping him to shreds uh, in the game against Scotland. But people forget that Kieran Tierney was actually clocked as the fastest player in the Premier League this season, and Carvajal was never known for his pace. So I don't understand that. Like we knew this all along that Carvajal isn't the quickest. You know, like his. Uh, um, main like strengths were actually basically being a better defender than most fullbacks in the world. Is is that a valid point for that? Maybe maybe some of the criticism that he has been getting might be a bit over the top. I mean, yeah, off the back of off the back of a Spain game, I've been very underwhelmed by Luis mm. de la Fuente's Luis de la Fuente start, and I'm a massive Luis Enrique fan. So it's, I mean, this is a whole different different question. But yeah, I'm, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't judge any of those Spain players off the off the Spain game so far. But I do think, yeah, obviously you, you need to play to a player's strengths. I think Carvajal's perhaps been a little bit exposed as well in in some games by, again, in the Classico, um, depending on the setup that, that Madrid have had. Um, and like you say, he is a player who, like I say, because I, I thought he'd kind of dipped from his best and then he returned, I thought, in that Champions League run in some of the games last year. But then, yeah, it just seems to be creeping in again, perhaps not quite up to the level, whether it's to do with injuries finally taking their toll, whether it's to do with you know, hunger or age or, or whatnot. But I think the fullback areas are two areas where Madrid are struggling. I don't know what Ancelotti could do. I don't you guys will know who who's best best to play best bet to play left back. I know they've obviously played Camavinga a bit there. Alaba's obviously back and can play there. Um I don't think 
Mendy will be back. I don't know, but I don't know what the best Decent option would be. And obviously, the left back role is quite important yeah. because Barca kind of the way they have this midfield four, they do have a right winger which will be Rafinha. So you need someone who can deal with Rafinha, who obviously caused a lot of problems against Madrid in that game two weeks ago, just before the international break. Um, but no, I mean, I think we, uh, you will know as well. We'll probably get the same from Ancelotti. Javi said today he doesn't expect Madrid to surprise him. Um, He's obviously speaking yeah. about Modric and Cruz being untouchables. Even though that doesn't mean they're going to be untouchable in every game, I still think he will obviously go to them from the start tomorrow when it comes to it. Um, but we'll see. I, yeah, you will know better than me. I think it's just been... Each game has been so different. It's not like they've been uh, sort of this followed the same pattern and you can say, well, this keeps happening. Ancelotti's getting this wrong. Obviously, the first game was... Barca did play very well, but then the second game was that Copa del Rey game when Barca Madrid had all of the ball and didn't have any sort of success in the final third. And then I thought Madrid, I kind of kind of agree with Ancelotti that in the in the league Classico Madrid Madrid were, I mean, they had deficiencies, like I say, the fullbacks, they they, mm-hmm. they lost their way at certain points, but they did they also were equal to Barca, especially and they came on strong, I thought, in the last half an hour. And with those midfield changes, obviously got a lot of criticism for perhaps making them so late. But like you also said, if he made five changes after an hour or at half time, people are going to go, what are you doing? Yeah, Sam, but... Uh, Facts. So, Carlo Ancelotti, uh, he was addressing the fullback question in his press conference, right? He, I'm quoting him. It's true our left-back doesn't attack a lot because there's Vinicius. Fullbacks don't always have to go out and attack. Do you agree with that mm. statement? Yeah, I actually... Yeah, I mean, fullbacks aren't... I mean, the role of the fullback changes all the time, doesn't it, based on how the formations or football is favoured at the time. If you go back for sort of 10 years, perhaps everyone wanted an attacking fullback. I actually quite like the balance of having um, one attacking fullback and one sort of more defensive fullback. If you think back to the Barca side of Guardiola, they had the Alves and the Abadal combination. And when Barca have, obviously, it's Araujo against Madrid, but with the Kunde, even though Kunde doesn't want to play right back, with Kunde and Balde, it kind of works quite well the way Barca play because you get the width from the left back and you get the width from the right winger and Kunde can sort of t- tuck in and it allows for a little bit more flexibility tactically. You can switch to a back three quite easily and and whatnot. So I quite like the balance of having one sort of attacking fullback and one one defensive fullback. But yeah, Ancelotti is absolutely right. In fact, I actually remember, I think, was it the Champions League final that that Ancelotti won in 2014, maybe when you know the, mm-hmm. the big he, he changed the the only changes he made when they were chasing the game against Atletico were the two fullbacks. I think he swapped the fullbacks around, and everyone was like, "How Marcelo gonna, came in, yeah." How is this going to affect everything? And those were the the big mm. changes that sort of swung the game in Madrid's favor. He, even Marcelo actually scored one of the most pivotal goals in the final as well. So yeah, uh, that's a very uh, very good point that. We we are actually quite forgotten about that, and people see this is this is why I actually stress out to people like Farouk. You see here, Sam is one of Carlo's biggest critics. Like people just have fickle memory; they seem to forget that he is actually a very astute tactician as well. Yes, it's not not all about actually uh, keeping the uh, the dressing room in in good vibes. It's also actually game management and kind of tweaking the game uh, on the go. And Carlo is i think the best manager to actually uh bring in all that all those facets together for a team like us to work because not every manager can actually handle the pressure and 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 the expectation that comes with this job right sam actually sam before you answer that question can you just end by i, I was gonna say to you like you said you think you see carlo going to brazil uh can you just end by also suggesting who you think is going to replace him while answering the next question as well Oof, who could have, 
I was actually talking about the with a friend about the the Chelsea post, but there's there's some very very good coaches available. Um, obviously, some will be more fit into to, you know Chelsea or Madrid than others. But if you look at the coaching market at the moment, with you know Pochettino, Conte, Nagelsmann, uh, Luis Enrique, um, who else is there? There's there's quite there's there's Zidane. Obviously, he's already obviously Zidane's already had his spells at Madrid, but who knows if he would come back again. Um, so yeah, there's some really good free free coaches about. I was, was I don't I don't have any information. I've not really followed much about who Madrid would go for, whether they would finally go for Pochettino perhaps or 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 Nagelsmann if he doesn't take one of the the jobs in England perhaps perhaps I'd say one of those two just off the top of my head for for now Nagelsmann or or Poch maybe. I don't know what you guys think or what you've heard. The no, I, I, I don't think Pochettino would be a good fit um personally but like I disagree, to... honestly. I think Poch is the <laughs> right fit for us at this point in time, but then it is what it is, honestly. Uh, quickly, Sam, like uh, a couple of questions that uh, some of our listeners actually posted in. Uh, uh, he, he, the like, uh, Fento, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he was asking, would his club, would Barcelona have preferred showing off a La Liga trophy or the Champions League at the new camp, in your opinion, Sam? Oof. It's it, the thing with Barcelona and Madrid is it always comes down to to the other um, what the other what the other team does. Um, mm. Probably, pro, I think teams generally prefer the Champions League. But I mean, after four years without La Liga, um, I mean the Liga is just as good. I think they're all, they're almost equal this year, with the caveat that if it had to be one or I don't know, I think that Champions League probably. But I mean, it depends on the circumstances with Barcelona all the time and what that would mean for La Liga if they were human humiliated in La Liga wouldn't have been good. The most important thing for Barca this season was being competitive in Europe, which they weren't, and being, you know, close to the title in La Liga, which they are going to win. It's kind of like a like a starting point. And yeah, but I mean next season they have to if they don't compete in Europe next season, there's going to be a big, big drama. If they're even in Europe. <laughs> fair, play, fair play, fair play. I think that's a very good uh, answer. He also asks you, uh, would he like to see Eric Garcia start over Busquets in midfield? I think it was experimented in the Elche game, and he was fair. Yeah. He was fairly uh, um, praised for for his performance. No, I wouldn't like. To, I would wouldn't like to see him start against Madrid, and I don't think he will start in that position against Madrid. It's quite interesting that thing because it's been suggested quite a bit. In part because Eric Garcia is quite good on the ball, but in part because he's been sort of so sort of weak in sort of one-on-one duels in defence that people have been looking for other areas where they could use his expertise. But the, the, the turnaround from Javi has been quite interesting because he's been asked about it quite a few times since he's been past the manager and he's always said, no, 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 it's not something we're considering. And now all of a sudden he has, yeah, he did it at the weekend against Elche, which was a nice test and went okay, but it was against an Elche team who were really bad in defence. But it's also interesting that Javi said it wasn't his idea, it was Jordi Cruyff's idea. So that's interesting that he said the sporting, sporting director had told him to, to try that. I remember people were actually uh, kind of not so impressed with Eric Garcia's positional play, but his passing kind of bails him out uh, a lot more, I think. Um, one final question, Sam, uh, from Adriana here. Was becoming a sports journalist always your dream job? If you could interview anyone within the football world, who would be your pick? Who would be your dream gig, basically? It's a good, quest- good question. Um I think like a lot of people, it was, it was not, well, I guess a lot of people don't maybe want to be a sports journalist, but they do sort of maybe go into football and then end up in sports journalism. Um, for me, it was always sort of, yeah, the, it always went hand in hand, my passion for football. And I also really like sort of writing and studying English at school. And from, yeah, from a very early age, people pointed out that, oh, maybe you'd quite like to go into sports journalism. So yeah, it was, 
Yeah, it's been, yeah, looking back, it was very sort of straightforward and I'm very lucky and grateful for how everything worked out. But yeah, obviously it came on the back of being a rubbish footballer. Well, not rubbish, but you know, nowhere near good enough to be um, a professional footballer. And in terms of who who you would like to interview is a good question. You, you, you always look for, for the characters, I guess. Um, if it was dead or alive, I'd maybe say Diego Maradona just because he was so sort of entertaining. Um, in terms of people that are still alive, who would be a good person to talk to? Because um, a lot of the top people don't really speak too much, do they? In terms of when I'm trying to think who's 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 entertaining and who's a good talker and a good speaker. As a Latin, maybe. Latin would be quite good. It would be quite interesting. I'd, I think I'd be quite scared if I was interviewing. Latin. I feel like he'd like, <laughs> tell me off, tell me off for some questions or something. It'd be like. You'd be like ridiculous. What you're talking about? I think I actually do think that with a lot of man. Sean Dyche, maybe. Sean Dyche should be. Yeah, yeah that's a good shot. That's a good shot. <laughs> Vincent Company is a good shot. Yeah, I'll Vincent Company. I'll go Vincent Company for for now. Very, <laughs> it's a very momentaneous shout, but yeah, Vincent Company, Super Vincent. <laughs> are you are you actually hopeful about Burnley staying up? Uh, like how Sean Dyche made them stay up for for a while in the Premier League from next season. It's the, it's the unknown. Obviously, we got smashed by Man City. I mean, the way we're playing at the moment and the way we've torn through the championship gives hope when you look at sort of, I guess it's the idea is or the the the, the aim is, you know, when you look at Brighton or Brentford and to replicate that sort of sort of model of, of success, they play sort of quite front foot football. It's certainly not the mm -hmm. way we played under Dice and that's the way we play at the moment. But yeah, I don't know. It's impossible to say. And I mean, once you get below the top six, anyone could go down. I mean, Brentford or Brighton could easily be in a relegation battle next season. Um, one bad coaching appointment, one losing one player. I think I think the way we've played this season with company, I think they would probably be all right in the first season. They would back in, but yeah, you never know beyond there. But uh, this this has been the most enjoyable season, being in the championship and beating everyone. It's great fun. Top of the table as well, flying, yeah. flying, absolutely flying. Um, I think that's pretty much it, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and um, we hope that you felt the same as well. No, yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Now I'm going to get, get back to parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. It's, 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 it's been fun, honestly. Thank you so much. No worries. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the game tomorrow and maybe speak again so in the much. future. See you, see you, see you, see you, see you Sam. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Don't forget to actually smash the like on the video. And if you haven't subscribed, don't forget to subscribe to the channel as well. Don't forget to actually uh, go follow uh, sam on twitter the link is in the description below there's also the link to sam's barcelona podcast cm propositivo uh the link is also in the description below uh, we had so many questions from all of you guys uh we could only squeeze in uh a few of them uh, apologies for the ones that oh yeah uh, so i guess we lost sunit like we said uh, we got a bunch of really nice questions we had uh, dennis of course, always there, Adriana in the comments as well. Uh, who else was there? Yeah, it's just Dennis a great, yeah. Yeah, Dennis a great. We had a bunch of questions on Instagram. We had a few questions from the Real Madrid committee as well. So yeah, we tried to squeeze in everything. And I guess it was a really good show. I hope you guys enjoyed having Sam on board. Uh, what else, Farouk? Uh, would you like to add anything for the Classico? Uh, maybe we can just finish with our predictions and call it a day, maybe. Sure. Well, Sam had his predictions. He was probably winning the uh, telling Madrid would kind of win or it's going to be a draw again, uh, depending on how that goes. Like the rest of the Barcelona camp. What are you? Yeah, saying? actually, I, I'm, I'm expecting a more of a 2 1 victory, and I think that's going to take us to extra time, right? 
Sure. Yeah, there is no uh, away goals thing or anything, right? Yeah, I think there is no away goals. Yeah, it's just you know, you win what you win. Actually, I actually think we're not gonna concede for a play. Uh, I feel like this is the finally the one classical that we don't concede. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna predict a one nil win and then we go and win it in penalties. Oh, ballsy man, ballsy. Okay, I mean penalty is a fifty-fifty always, so I will take my chances. So, okay then, I guess with that we can call it a wrap. And hello Madrid people, hello Madrid.